the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I know a place where we can go. This is Crosswalk Colorado Springs, a local community faith program from 100.7. The Word. We're going down to the river, down to the river. This is Haim Goldman, the Watchman, and you're listening to Crosswalk on the Salem Radio Network from our studios in Colorado Springs, Colorado on 100.7 The Word. So happy to have you joining us today, as always, but today is a very serious topic, so I'm not so happy about having to do this program, but what we're going to be discussing today and what I've titled today's crosswalk is Never Again, and that's with an exclamation point on the end, and in it we'll be dealing with something that we don't talk about that much in the church which is probably the reason that it's running rampant in our country right now, and that is, of course, anti-Semitism. We'll be sharing about its ancient spiritual roots, how it's played out across the world in pretty much every age, why it doesn't just target Jews but destroys entire nations, and how the church of our times must, must take action now to attempt to save our nation and the church itself. I know that's a big claim, but if you don't believe it already, I believe I'll prove it out to you over this hour. Because during this time together, I'll be sharing with you about my experiences with the spirit of anti-Semitism and with uh, very serious action of anti-Semitism. And as an American and Israeli Jew, I have experienced it. And that has made Jew hatred very personal to me. So we'll be giving a short history of anti-Semitism, including Dietrich Bonhoeffer's valiant but failed attempts to get the German church to stand against Hitler. And uh, also how Jew hatred has gone mainstream in America since the Hamas attack on Israel in October, especially on our college campuses. And how the church, uh, again, must act now in a way that it's never been willing to do before, or I believe we will be judged by God even harsher than Germany and the German church was. Never again is supposed to mean something. Please, my brothers and sisters, have it mean something. If you've ever wondered how you would have acted during the Holocaust, especially in early and mid-1930s Germany, Now is your chance to prove it out. And uh, I think that's clear. Uh, If you pay any attention to the news about, you know, what Hamas did in Israel and how the world is uh, won't even condemn it, how um, all these protests are taking place with the river to the sea and calling for jihad, which is absolutely the genocide of the Jewish people and definitely the destruction of Israel if you take the land from the river to the sea. Uh, There's nothing left for the Jewish homeland. But um, we talk about Israel a lot, and since October 7th, I've done many programs on it. 
Um, but the, the, the subject that's so much closer to home, that's in our everyday lives, that's in our country, and uh, unfortunately, it's, you know, it's here at home in, in the Springs, in the Pikes Peak area, is anti-Semitism and the spirit of anti-Semitism. And I'm speaking about this as a Jew— um, born and raised uh, Jewish, secular Jewish, um, you know, somewhat uh, to a point, some some religion. But when I became a believer in Yeshua Messiah, Jesus, uh, over uh, 25, almost 30 years ago, and I really started um, understanding my history and my faith in a way you might find that strange that Jesus brought me <laughs> to my Judaism, but uh, I became uh, an Israeli citizen, dual citizen, uh, with my wife, uh, right, right after we got married, had most of our children in Israel. And, um, you know, growing up in America, and I grew up outside Philadelphia in a very Jewish area, over like 60, 70% of the people in my high school were, were Jewish, but mostly Reformed Jewish. Um, so it wasn't really a faith, uh, but it was an ethnicity and it was a culture that we uh, appreciated. But, but, you know, in America, you don't experience the anti-Semitism, or at least you didn't. So growing up that way, and, and then you go to Israel and, and you experience it in a way because there's this ever-present threat of getting blown up, to be honest. You're on the front lines along with your wife and, and your children. But, you know, we're all there together. And, and regardless of what your political leanings are or anything else, we know that when it comes down to it, Jews are going to protect Jews. And and we're seeing that right now with the war, how it how it brought the country together. And so you you feel it from this this ancient you know war that we have with the other side of the the Abrahamic family. Um, but but you don't really feel it. But it's it's hit home so much to me over the past couple of months. And and I, I hope it surprised you too. It, I guess it shouldn't have. It was right there below the surface, been fomenting inside this cultural Marxism for. 50 or 60 years we're seeing. And, um, but when I, when I was in Israel, uh, back in 2002, uh, January 27th, 2002, I was, um, almost murdered by a homicide bomber in Jerusalem. Wafa Idris, the first female suicide homicide bomber wasn't intended to be suicide. She actually put a, a suitcase bomb, a backpack bomb with 10 kilograms, that's 22 pounds of TNT down inside a shoe store that I was in just about five feet away from me, um, had armed it and went to leave. And inexplicably, um, when a, a store clerk said to her, may, may I help you? She, who's the only one who knew the bomb was armed, picked it up, walked out the door, and within a, a second... Uh, was incinerated by by this explosive device and and um, you know I was she came in in a Red Crescent ambu- ambulance she was a volunteer medic with the Red Crescent and uh, came into the Jerusalem to to harm me that day thankfully at the last moment she had a change of heart shows that anybody can have a change of heart and decided to not kill the people uh, including me in the store uh, and only one other person died that day uh, but it blew out shop windows up and down Jaffa Road and. In Jerusalem, um, that was the first time I really had to come face to face with that someone wanted me dead just because I was a Jew uh, and an Israeli Jew. Although I, I hadn't gotten my citizenship yet, but uh, actually did the, the next day. But I became an Israeli that day, 
And, uh, and so I came, came back to America with my family over a decade ago for ministry purposes. And um, since then, you sort of forget because America, you know, seems to be a, you know, a comfortable place and safe. But obviously, over the past few years, so much has gotten turned upside down. And, uh, and now, you know, feeling it and experiencing it and having to get that resolve back uh, that you need as an Israeli to keep going, to not let terrorism win, to not be scared uh, because then the terrorists already won. But but um, as we close out this segment, I want to share with you something that I experienced back in 2020, and I didn't realize how relevant it was until just the past month or two. It was at the beginning of COVID, and the mask mandates were coming down, and uh, my wife and I went out, um, had, had worn the masks from the beginning before everybody else did, and as we're natural health people said, this isn't the way a virus works, and we stopped wearing the mask pretty pretty early on and said, enough with this. So we, we went out, and we were looking for restaurants that didn't require it. So we went to this sushi restaurant near where we lived in Colorado Springs, and when we got to the door, we were wondering what we were going to have to do, and uh, when we got there, there was no one there to seat us. And so we walked in and sat down, and everybody else in the restaurant was had no mask because it was that rule where you have to wear it when you walk in because COVID's up at five feet, but not at four feet or whatever. And so we're sitting at the table and long story short, the waiter came over, said, you know, you have to wear a mask to come in. I said, we're sitting at the table, everybody else. And I felt the spiritual temperature of the room shift. And I said to my wife, this feels like 1930s Germany. Like I felt the spirit change. And by the time we left the restaurant, the waiters, the the people in the restaurant and even the, the 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 cooks in the back had come forward and were screaming at us to leave the restaurant, even though no one had a mask on, all because we hadn't complied with the government. And we had walked into the restaurant without a mask, even though no one else was wearing it. And it was insane. And yet I felt a spirit that like, they're the Jews. They shouldn't be here. They, it felt like that to me. And the thing that we need to realize is is that spirit, even from a few years ago, is still operating and operating our community, and it's just below the surface. And so when we come back, we're going to be continuing this discussion of never again about anti-Semitism, how we understand and combat it uh, with a short history of Jew hatred and why it's rising up so quickly today. Thank you for spending the hour with us on Crosswalk. We'll be right back. This is Crosswalk, Colorado Springs, on 100.7 The Word. Welcome back to Crosswalk. I'm Chaim Goldman, the Watchman, and we're continuing our program never again about anti-Semitism and how we must deal with it in our generation before it destroys our nation and the American church. I I know that's a bold statement to make, uh, but I believe that history bears this out. British journalist and communist William Norman Ewer famously wrote in the early part of the last century— How odd of God to choose the Jews. But a reply came from Cecil Brown, but not so odd of those who choose a Jewish God, but spurn the Jews. And if you think about that as a Christian, and I presume that most people listening to the word are Christian, uh, at least in some some way, uh, in some belief system, 
that the Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua, uh, unquestionably, well, I guess not unquestionably, because we're hearing, you know, nowadays in some narrative that, that he was a Palestinian, but, but, I, but I think anybody who, who understands actual history and, and studies it, that, uh, that, that he was a Jew uh, from Bethlehem, uh, which, which is now part of the Palestinian Authority, but it, it certainly wasn't back then. Um, how strange that Christian anti-Semitism um, has been really such a, a major uh, part of this story over the past 2,000 years. But in Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8, it states, it was not because of the Almighty states, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath which he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And if we look back over the course of anti-Semitism, you know, right from the beginning, um, when the children of Israel came to Egypt to, to follow Joseph there, you know, and, and we have that early history of Israel from Jacob and, the, and the, the sons of Jacob, which became the tribes of Jacob, that when a Pharaoh arose that did not know Joseph, then the word went out that there's a people and they're multiplying and they're dangerous and we need to wipe them out. And, and this is where we, we had the, um, the command of Pharaoh to kill the firstborn um, because they wanted to destroy us. And, and yet, thanks to the Hebrew midwives and, of course, thanks to the mighty arm of the Almighty, um, heard our cries when we finally cried out to him and delivered us from Egypt. But as we go down through history, we see a continuation. It's, it's called, you know, the oldest hatred for a reason. And, and arguably, it could even, you know, be going back to um, Cain and Abel, you know, this, this um, fratricide, this, this killing of, of your brother because of hatred. Um, and we need to, when we're looking into anti-Semitism, to try to understand where this hatred comes from. And I'm going to seek to cover that, at least in some ways, in this program. But we get down to the time of Babylon, where we were in exile in, in Babylon, and then Haman decided the same thing, that he didn't like the Jewish people, he didn't like Mordecai. But thankfully, because Esther Hadassah had been placed in the king's court, and she was willing to stand up and be bold that God saved the Jewish people again through her, but that was just to kill an entire group of people, the the Jews, just because of this hatred, because of seemingly a jealousy. And then we get to the time of Maccabees, and we just finished Hanukkah, uh, and this remembers the time back about 165 B.C., when the Syrian Greeks came in and sought to form a one-world government across the earth, and many Jews went along with it, and Jerusalem got destroyed because of it. But there was a group who stood up against it and was willing to go to war against, was willing to die a torturous death. If you read the book of Maccabees, and I recommend that you do, you'll find it in the Catholic Bible and the Apocrypha. It was in the original uh, 1611 King James. You can certainly find it online. It's, you know, when you read what they did to the Jewish people back then to where they forbid circumcision and would kill you if you had your child circumcised and also keeping the Sabbath and, and also eating, eating kosher and not eating what, you know, pig flesh. Uh, 
that that there were those who were willing to die in order to keep the covenant with God and to not defile themselves. And because of that, even though they were few in number, uh, they won. And we tell the story of Hanukkah to this day because of that. By the time we get to the time of Messiah, we have the Romans had come in. There was great oppression there. And eventually Jerusalem was destroyed. And, and um, you know, the Romans— um, you know, didn't know what to do with the Jews. We were always fighting back because we didn't want to live under anyone else. We were, we were supposed to be in our land and be free. And then there's the whole history of the church and all the anti-Semitism. If you read about the Constantinian edicts that came in as the Catholic Church was being formed, it was all about, you know, prove to us that you're not following the ways of the Jews, the history, the the, the feasts of the Jews, you know, eat pork and prove to us that you believe in Jesus. And 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 we went through the whole history of the, of the church up through the, the Middle Ages and the Inquisition and and this thing of, you know, the Jews killed Christ, right? Like the, that claim of that libel or that, that Jews kill Christian babies and, and, you know, use the blood to put in their, in their matzah for Passover, which is Jews don't eat any kind of blood, even, even from a kosher animal, you don't eat blood. So... Uh, these libels that just come and keep coming and coming, and of course with Islam, which, you know, honestly, in some ways, uh, Islamic countries were friendlier to Jews and allowed them to live at peace, but as it's become more radicalized, um, you know, in into the last hundred years or so, uh, it's obviously become really seemingly our biggest threat right now with Hamas and Islamic uh, Jihad and, and Hezbollah and, and Iran and, and all of this around the earth. Um, certainly, the communists were not were not friendly with the Jews, uh, even though many of the Bolsheviks, socialist communists, were Jewish and Jewish radicals. You know, when communism came in, it was not friendly because it's atheistic. And so, if you actually believe in God, that's that's uh, you know you can't. And then, of course, the Nazis and that whole history, and we'll be getting into that in the next segment. And the Ku Klux Klan in this country coming against blacks and Jews and other groups that uh, that they didn't um, you know agree with, and and then the jihadists of this age that we're dealing with. And to understand this, you know, and it's obviously a very deep topic, and I'm covering it very quickly, but from the ancient side, it's that we represent God. We are the people who were chosen, Israel, all of the nations, uh, all of the, the tribes of Israel, which, which we call collectively the Jews today, but it's really Israel, um, represent God. And so when Satan wants to come against this, of course, you know, if you can kill the chosen people of God, well, then you can kill God. Obviously, you can't. But we're in the middle of that, and as you know, Tevya famously said in Fiddler on the Roof, I know we're the chosen people, but maybe could you choose someone else some of the time? But in this current age where we're dealing with this, you know, this cultural Marxism that has come in to cancel everything and rewrite history, and 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 because they couldn't do uh, um, class warfare in this country, they made it into racial warfare, and we we know that's going on. But if you think about, you know, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion and all that, where do you put Jews? Are we the oppressed or the oppressor? Because because Mark, cultural Marxism, it needs an oppressed and the, the oppressor, and of course the oppressed is always right, the oppressor is always wrong. But what do you do with the Jew? You can't claim that we haven't been oppressed. We've been the eternal victims. And yet— we succeed. People say we own everything. It's not true, but we've been successful. So it blows up the mind of the cultural Marxist that the oppressed over thousands of years is the successful one. And that's why we're lumped in now with Israel as colonialists and whites. We're Semites. We're not white. 
but it blows their narrative out of the water. It blows that we're walking, talking, breathing affront to the insanity of cultural Marxism. And so what's the solution? Well, kill us, of course. <laughs> because why actually take our example and realize that your ideology is whacked and doesn't work? Instead, because of your the, the cognitive dissonance, you have to wipe us out. So there we go. That's my short background on anti-Semitism. You're listening to Crosswalk on 100.7 The Word. I'm Chaim Goldman, The Watchman, and we're talking never again about anti-Semitism, how we understand it and combat it. When we come back, we're going to be talking about how Dietrich Bonhoeffer opposed the Nazis and challenged the German church in his 1933 essay, The Church and the Jewish Question. We'll be right back on Crosswalk. Crosswalk, Colorado Springs, on 100.7, The Word. Welcome back to Crosswalk. I'm Chaim Goldman, The Watchman, and we're continuing our program never again on anti-Semitism and how we must deal with it in our generation before it destroys our nation and the American church. And in this segment, we're going to be covering how Dietrich Bonhoeffer opposed the Nazis and challenged the German church in his 1933 essay, The Church and the Jewish Question. And I'm going to be reading straight out of a wonderful book that I highly recommend to you. Uh, I will let you know it is published by Salem Books, and that's wonderful. It's a book by Eric Metaxas that came out at the uh, end of last year, 2022, called Letter to the American Church, and I highly recommend it. Uh, Eric Metaxas, who is on the Salem Network, a host on the Salem Network, um, he wrote in 2014 a book, Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy. And while he was writing it, he started to think about how much the 1930s German Lutheran Church and German Church overall uh, seemed like what was going on in America. And so in 2022, he published Letter to the American Church, and um, I'm going to be reading to you now, and I believe I can get through it in this segment. It's called The Church and the Jewish Question. Three months after Bonhoeffer's sermon on January 31st, 1933, Adolf Hitler came to power as the chancellor of the German nation. Though he was wisely coy about the details, he was nonetheless deeply dedicated to fundamentally changing Germany. This meant bringing everything in German life, including the German church, into line with Nazi doctrines. Once he had the power and the opportunity to act, Hitler did so with lightning speed, and things changed very quickly. Some of the changes were official in the form of legislation and decrees, as we shall see, but others were less obvious. For example, just two days after Hitler came to power, Bonhoeffer gave an important radio address. It had been scheduled for some time, so he did not give it as a response to Hitler's ascension. But in that address, given on the first day of February 1933, Bonhoeffer spoke pointedly on leadership and specifically on something called the leadership principle, an idea that had been popular in Germany over the previous two decades and which was centrally important to Hitler's view of himself. The German word for leader is Führer, and Hitler had, with evil brilliance, put himself forward as the leader, der Führer, that Germany needed at the time. He presented himself as the living embodiment of this idea, and there could be no question that it had messianic overtones to anyone paying attention, as Bonhoeffer certainly was. So when Bonhoeffer addressed the question of leadership in his speech, he was trying to explain that the biblical idea of leadership was dramatically and utterly opposed to Hitler's idea of it. The Bible speaks of servant leadership. 
He who would be first must be last. Jesus himself famously modeled this idea for his disciples on Maudie Thursday, when he took on the role of a lowly slave and washed their feet. Bonhoeffer contented contended in his address that if a leader's main objective was to idolize himself, that leader was not exhibiting true godly leadership, but was in fact a misleader of the people he pretended to lead. We in America have always understood the biblical ideas of leadership, whether we explicitly recognized it as such or didn't. If we the people are to govern ourselves, we are obliged to reject the idea of leaders who do not serve those whom they lead. Though we have sometimes forgotten about it, our American idea of self-government comes to us in no small part from the biblical model in which the Israelites made a covenant directly with God. So we can easily see how the popular Fuhrer principle that catapulted Hitler to power and helped him stay there would have been deeply distasteful to someone like Bonhoeffer. It was a bold and vital speech that Bonhoeffer gave that day on the subject, but because Hitler was now chancellor, something strange happened. Somewhere in the middle of the speech, the broadcast was cut off. No one knew for sure whether higher-ups in the Nazi regime made this happen, but it is hard to imagine that they hadn't. Circumstances in Germany had changed quite suddenly, and what would have gone swimmingly a week earlier might no longer work at all. To put it in our own modern parlance, Bonhoeffer had just been canceled. There There were many similar experiences to come for him, but... This was his own first taste of the new world into which all Germans had entered. One of the important themes of Bonhoeffer's life story and of this book, too, is that we must change along with our circumstances. The evil of today is different than the evil of yesterday or of tomorrow. And when Jesus enjoins us to be shrewd as serpents, it means that we must understand this. We must not be thoughtlessly sucked along into the mainstream of popular thinking, since that is often the broad road that leads to destruction. We have to take care to read the signs of the times, and no one understood this and lived it out better than Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He understood that with Hitler now officially in charge, Germans who opposed him would have to be cannier. But as Bonhoeffer tried to wake up the German church leaders, he was constantly battling with people who simply could not see the changing situation or accept that it was changing and that it required them to change their approach. They seem to think that what might have worked in 1915 or 1925 would work in 1935. They were not alive to the urgency of the situation. These were the same people who were convinced they could continue as they always had done, who believed that would suffice, that that was the path forward. They refused to see the new situation and to act accordingly. We will go into the roughly four reasons for this in the chapters following, but the fact is that because of their inability to see things clearly, they clung to what was safe. And in doing so, they markedly departed from leaning on God and trusting Him with what lay ahead. They had become so comfortable with business as usual that they had entirely forgotten how to lean on God. And so, when things changed, and it was dramatically required that they do so, they did not. As we have touched on already, a very similar dynamic is at work in the American church today. Many pastors and leaders sincerely believe that we can and should continue as we have been doing for decades. And remember, this is Eric Eric Metaxas writing just in 2022. We should preach the gospel and teach the Bible as we have always done, and we must act as though the current state of our culture and nation is essentially the same as it has always been. But most people in the pews whom these pastors purport to lead know that things are not 
as they were even a few years ago. They are looking to the pastoral, their pastoral leaders to acknowledge this, to help them understand what is happening, and to lead them in standing against it. After all, isn't this precisely why they have been studying the Bible and listening to sermons over the years? Was not all of that preparation for this hour? But in most churches, the business, as usual, continues. As though they might kick the current troubles away, the leaders simply continue preparing for something in the future, which they seem to hope will simply never come. Many Christians are abandoning such churches for the few that are alive to the situation where the pastors are less timid about saying what needs to be said, but in the increasing numbers but in increasing but in the increasing numbers of those churches that refuse to see where we are and address it has god not already begun to bring about his judgment has he not already cursed the fig tree it goes into a history and i have to skip forward to get through this in the segment but in april 1933 bonhoeffer wrote his essay the church and the jewish question in which he spells out rather clearly what he saw as the German church's role in dealing with the circumstances arising from a state hostile to Christian belief. If anyone doubts whether Bonhoeffer believed Christians should get political, they need only read this document, which may be summed up by its three central points. First, Bonhoeffer said the church was the conscience of the state and must call it to account that it must loudly object if the state was doing wrong. It could not and must not remain silent when injustices and wrongs have been promoted and enacted. Second, he said that the Christian church was obligated to help any victims of the state. For Bonhoeffer, that clearly included the Jews. But thirdly and most dramatically, Bonhoeffer concluded that if the state refused to change course and do the right thing, but rather continued in its sins, which in this case was principally focused on the Jews, on persecuting the Jews, it was the solemn obligations of Christians to take action— that they were not merely to protest verbally and to help the victims, but were also to become active politically to, quote, shove a stick in the spokes of the wheel of the rumbling machine of state. But unfortunately, most of the German church would not act. They would not sign the document. And because most in Germany remained silent, the Holocaust continued. You're listening to Crosswalk on 100.7 The Word. I'm Chaim Goldman, The Watchman. And we're talking never again about anti-Semitism, how we understand and combat it. When we come back, how we must deal with anti-Semitism in our generation before it destroys our nation and the American church. This is Crosswalk, Colorado Springs, on 100.7 The Word. Welcome back to Crosswalk. I'm Chaim Goldman, The Watchman, and we're continuing our program Never Again on anti-Semitism and how we must deal with it in our generation before it destroys our nation as it did Germany, as it did Egypt, as it did every nation. You know, how's that going for you um, when you come uh, against the people of God? And, and I believe in this generation that's against Christians. What we're, we're dealing with now, um, you know, is a situation that maybe, you know, Christians haven't been in before because, you know, we've experienced uh, you. Uh, I'm, I'm a Messianic Jew and I'm, I'm, a, I'm Jewish. And, and uh, we've experienced you as the persecutor. 
But now you're seeing the other side of it. And, you know, welcome to the party. <laughs> welcome to the party, pals. Um, and that's good. Let's come together and fight this. Because who do you say your God is? The God of Israel, right? So, so we're in this together. So in this segment, we're going to be talking about how we can deal with anti-Semitism in our generation right here locally before it destroys us. And, and we need to do that. And in our, in our previous segment, if you were uh, listening, maybe you didn't hear the reference, but I was uh, quoting out of Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas. And uh, it's a great book. I, I highly recommend it. I've given hundreds of copies out to pastors, especially. It's really written to pastors, but it's written to the whole church. And, and that was the, the chapter on the church and the Jewish question. But the chapter right after is the 12,000. And what Eric Metaxas found when he was writing the book on Bonhoeffer a decade ago that there were about 18,000 pastors in Germany at the time of Hitler's ascension. And when it came down to it, about 3,000 were against him in this confessing church that Bonhoeffer created with others. And the, the, there were about 3,000 that were for, and the, uh, that were for Hitler, and the 12,000 in the middle that stayed in the church did nothing, remained silent. They're the ones who really had the 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 issue to deal with later of why did you remain silent? Because if another 3,000 or 6,000 in the church had risen up, the church was very powerful in Germany. Who knows if Hitler could have been brought down? So um, very famously, Friedrich Niemöller, uh, who's a German theologian and Lutheran pastor, he was a national conservative in Germany, initially a supporter of Adolf Hitler and a self-identified anti-Semite, he became one of the founders of the Confessing Church, along with Bonhoeffer. And very famously, he wrote a poem that says, uh, in Germany, they came first for the communist, and I did not speak up because I wasn't a communist. And then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew, and then they came for me, and by that time there was no one left to speak up. And as Dietrich Bonhoeffer so uh, famously has said, that um, not to speak is to speak, and not to act is to act, that God will not hold us guiltless for remaining silent. And um, as uh, you know, we always say, for such a time as this, it is time for us to speak up in our generation. So I always like to have action points. I'm not here to tickle your ears, but to get you off your um, backside and out there and out of the pews and onto the streets and working within our community here in the Pikes Peak region and beyond to, to bring the kingdom of God. And we can't have something uh, this hateful, this virulently hateful, that ends up in genocide, and and not just destroying Jews, but again, destroying the very nations that come against us. Um, I'm calling out to you to work, to, to take this very, very seriously. Maybe you don't feel it like I do, you know, as, as a Jewish person, as an Israeli we we maybe we're we're hypersensitive to this kind of stuff when we pick up on it and i told at the beginning of this hour about how i picked up on it at the beginning of covid that spirit was there it was weird but now a few years later when it's coming out as it is i'm understanding that it was you know just below the surface ready to come up so we have this going especially among the college campuses um but first this needs to start in your own heart and mind you were redeemed 
the light has come into you. If you have hatred toward Jews or really any people group without cause, I mean, we're supposed to love our enemies, period. But especially if it's a baseless hatred that just doesn't really make any logical sense as, as you know, you might want to come up with reasons for hating, for hating us, you know, but, um, you know, the, you know, for some reason, it's a spiritual component. Please deal with it with your own heart and, and mind. And even as I've had on previous shows, when, you know, uh, uh, Muslims who were jihadists come to Christ and that love is shed abroad in their hearts, they don't hate me anymore. I'm their brother. And, and I've had on the show, Muhammad Faridi, uh, from Iranian Christians International, we love each other because in Messiah he brought us together. Even though we have this thousands of year, you know, feud going on <laughs> between our families, um, in your church and community, and in education and in schools and in government, what what can you do? Well, um, engage with the Jewish community. You know, right now we just had a, a rally for Israel down at City Hall, a couple hundred people about a week ago uh, that I got a chance to speak in. If you listen to our Crosswalk show from last week, um, I have um, excerpts of, of those who spoke, um, not me. Uh, we're going to be playing that on uh, on um, on the Partners in the Gospel this Wednesday. Uh, tune in at 4 o'clock for that. But, um, um, you know, th- there were about 200 people there, but mostly Christians, and we heard that the Jewish community, was, you know, a lot in the Jewish community were scared to come out to the rally because they didn't know if they would be safe. Jewish people, I have to tell you, are wondering what's going on because at some point <laughs> throughout history, we think we might be sort of kind of safe within the, the non-Jewish, the Gentile community, but somehow things turn bad. And we didn't think it would happen in America, but it seems to be. So please engage with the Jewish community um, and, and, and talk to them and, and show them that you're on uh, our side, that you're on side. I, I'm a high, I, I go between the two worlds as a Messianic Jew. But uh, it's really good to hear, and Israelis need that support, too, to know that you understand. But here in our country that, that you're supporting that, get with the Jewish community, say that you're praying for them, and, and, and can you help them in any way? And, and uh, you know, are they scared, and how can you help? Um, be, be prepared. Be, you know, have a heightened awareness of what's going on, because, you know, we've had open borders for a long time, and I've seen this before. I moved to Israel during the Second Intifada. I explained that I was almost killed in a bombing you know, this is how these people operate, and at some point things start blowing up. And I, I hate to say that, but it's the reality of our world that that this could start happening. And so, be aware of 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 the violence that may come against you just because you're an American. And increase security and promote resilience within yourself. You know, Israelis know how to be resilient. We're, we're you know, as soon as the coffee shop that got bombed is is put back and open for business in a couple of weeks, we're back in there drinking coffee because we know we can't let the terrorists win or else they already won. Uh, promote awareness and training. Um, you know, talk about Israel, the history of Israel, dispel the lies about Israel. It is not an apartheid state. It is not an occupier. That is our ancestral homeland. They are not uh, committing genocide. How do you explain the, the huge population increase in, in the Palestinian areas over the decades if there's genocide? And on and on, there's just lies. And unfortunately, the Palestinian people have been used as pawns in this situation. But uh, the fact is, is they came in and they decided to start this war and uh, Israel needs to come against its enemies because that is the responsibility of the state. I'm not saying that Israel as a political body is perfect. It's far from it. But it is the, the land that's been recognized, and we do have a right to defend ourselves. So educate yourself. Pray. Act. 
and also work within the government to make sure, like I did right after this attack, went down to the city council, to the county commissioners, and 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 asked them to to do resolutions against uh, the attack against Hamas, and they did. So thank you uh, for this uh, <clears throat> program that's uh, close to my heart. But I hope you understand I'm not doing this just because I'm Jewish. I'm doing it uh, because I'm a, a citizen of, of freedom and a lover of God. Uh, and I want us to all end up on the right side of history. Oh, I'm Chaim Goldman, the Watchman. And you've been listening to Crosswalk on 100.7 The Word. Thank you for doing whatever you can to combat anti-Semitism in our region, state, county, and world. Because never again is supposed to mean something. The light of Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, will always overcome the darkness. Be that light for such a time as this. Shalom. Me in the valley. 100.7, the word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.